1: satisfaction nothing personal word of the day it is Tuesday the 20th of December 2022 I can't get no satisfaction I can't get no fan bases around baseball around sports I can't figure you out you walk around like Justine Bateman not satisfied articles coming out every day Fans, media, the Boston Red Sox, what a disaster. Chaim Bloom, chief baseball officer, stinks. John Henry, cheap. More focused on Liverpool. More focused on Fenway Racing, the Pittsburgh Penguins, LeBron James. What about those Dodgers resetting their luxury tax? What do they do? Bring in J.D. Martinez? Resign Clayton Kershaw, give him $20 because it feels good to bring him back? How dare they? How can you ever be satisfied when you're a fan? Here's the answer. You don't care. Coca and I spent time last night and today talking about today's show, and Coca is a fan. He's not an executive. He's a producer of a podcast, but a fan of sports and not even a huge fan, I would argue, but loves the Metropolitans. His view is that Steve Cohn could spend a billion dollars on payroll. I don't care. I just want to win. I don't want the chance to win. I want to actually win. So going into this season where the Mets are involved in this crazy arms race with only like three other teams, one of them being the Phillies in their own division, if we don't get it done, How dare they not realize they didn't have enough bats. We need new bats. Go sign Otani for a billion dollars. I'm not satisfied. Be a fan of a team with a low payroll. I'm not satisfied. As an owner, you should be spending more money. Raise your payroll. Find me better players. Oh, you're winning with the low payroll? I'm not satisfied. We don't have a ring. Those are the Tampa fans. I spent time thinking about this. We don't run a team trying to satisfy you because you're unable to be satisfied. It's exactly like in real life with a real friendship or a real relationship. If you're with someone who's not on a happy train, who's on a misery train, you do your best to get them onto the happy train, but they don't get on the happy train. And then you realize they're just on the misery train. And what do you eventually do? You stop being friends. Because the negative energy, that's what it's called these days. I don't want to be surrounded by the negative energy. That existed 40 years ago. It was just people who walked around with a cloud over their head. Um, pull, um, pull, um, pull, um. They're walking around miserable. You're never satisfied. Hamilton did an entire song about it, Lin Manuel Miranda. I'm never gonna be satisfied. I'm never satisfied. I acknowledge it but I have a different scale that I use. My scale is based on things that I control. I don't say that I'm not satisfied with the improvement in climate change. I'm not satisfied with the change in race relations. I'm not satisfied in poverty and the rate at which we're curing it. It's not how I talk. I can say that I'm displeased. I can say that I'm disappointed. I can say that I'm disconsolate, but I will not say that I'm dissatisfied. We all do what we can do in every aspect of life. Even malcontents who sit on a couch all day long. Hey, that's the best you can do. The Red Sox made a very simple decision. Very simple, having nothing to do with any assets they own. They said that our payroll is going to be at a number that is top four for a number of years, top one for a couple years, now top 10, top 13. Doesn't matter where we sit amongst the 30 owners, our payroll is where it is because that is what the revenues say our payroll should be. You gonna argue with that? I wanna hear a cogent argument other than the emotional one that Coca gives and you all give, which is John Henry's a billionaire. He should be spending way more money. He should not be letting Mookie Betts go. He should have signed Xander Bogarts to whatever Xander Bogarts wanted. What are you talking about? You think it makes sense to do what the Padres are doing? Well, I'm a Padres fan. I don't care. It's great for baseball. I want every player to get whatever amount of money they can. So do I. But don't be angry at your owner because your owner's not willing to be stupid or your owner's only willing to be stupid once in a while or it's cyclical stupidity. I like that term. Maybe that's the word of the day, cyclical stupidity. What, you don't remember when the Red Sox signed Chris Sale? Boy, that was a good signing. Yeah, but at the time, had to do it. Red Sox fans would have been dissatisfied, disconsolate, we won a World Series and you're letting our best pitcher go? Can't be. Sign him to an extension right now. Don't worry if if his arm falls off. Guess what? His arm fell off and now you are where you are. Every owner sits in an owner's meeting. Every owner looks around the room and every owner says, oh, I got a problem with that guy. I got a problem with this guy. Yes, they say guy because there's no gals. I got a problem over here. Ooh, that's in my division. The Boston Red Sox are very aware what the Blue Jays are doing and where they are in their window of winning. They're aware that the Yankees are consistent in what they've done. No matter where their payroll is, the top one, top three, you can have that and still not win. The Yankees have done that and won year after year after year maybe it's time people realized and stop complaining that the Yankees haven't won a world series in 09 since 09 and say wow they have a chance to win it every single year it doesn't mean they get the players right it doesn't mean they've got the team that's good enough to do it on a year by year basis but man they try good on them the red Sox and Chaim and bloom they look and they say from a value perspective from a realistic perspective is this our window to win Once in a while you surprise yourself and then you adjust at the deadline and you become buyers instead of sellers. You see what happens and then you worry about next year, next year, who you're gonna extend, who you're gonna let go. The best teams recognize the windows. It's a concept that we talk about on Nothing Personal. When you do not have a window and you force a window, you lose. When you have a window that you don't recognize is a window, then you lose it's recognizing that you've got the window take advantage of the existing window and have good evaluators who save owners from themselves and make good signings you want to know why the cubs have a problem The Cubs have a problem because they gave Dansby Swanson seven years, $177 million. Oh, the Cubs have plenty of money to spend. Tom Ricketts is rich. He almost bought Chelsea for crying out loud, Meatloaf. That has nothing to do with it. That's like saying that Todd Bowley bought Chelsea, spent all that money buying Chelsea. Therefore, the Dodgers are not spending money this year. Because their money went to Chelsea, or the Red Sox aren't spending money because their money's going to Liverpool. That's not how it works. Owners have individual businesses, some owners have conglomerates, and they examine each of their different business silos and want them to stand on their own two feet. They all have different circumstances. You think that Steve Cohn wants to take all of the profits from his hedge fund and fund all of the losses of the Mets? he does right now, but not forever. When you take profits from one business and put them into another business that's losing, that's how you lose your profits. And then you become a general loss. You run a business at a loss or your conglomerate at a loss. And that's not how rich people get rich and stay rich. So the Cubs go ahead and they sign Cody Bellinger for one year. They sign Swanson. Cody Bellinger, the former MVP, got a one-year deal. Another Boris ridiculous overvaluation of what the player is. Bring in Swanson, who is the loser of the shortstop sweepstakes. The loser getting $177 million, which is absurd. slotting in below Turner, below Correa, below Bogarts. That's because Swanson is the fourth best of that group by a lot. Swanson was a great complimentary player on a great team in Atlanta. How did he do on his previous team, Coca? Check it. Not so good. Bring him in, and the Cubs say, look, are you satisfied now? Are you satisfied if you're running the Cubs, if you are a Cubs fan, if you're a lifelong Cubs fan? You won a World Series in 2016, we're only six years removed The Cubs put together what they thought was a dynasty and only won one time. Does that mean they're not good at what they do? That means Theo's not good or Jed Hoyer's not good? Is Andrew Friedman not good in LA because they put together a dynasty and have won one World Series? Is Mark Rizzo not the executive of the year in Washington because they won the World Series in 19 and then tore it down because they could not possibly compete with what's going on in the NL East? There has to be a different reason, and we know what it is. When we call owners billionaires, we are counting the assets that they own, except that makes them billionaires on paper. Paper billionaires are people who buy an asset at $500 million, and then the asset's worth $2 billion. They start living that way, acting that way, Except they didn't cash in on the asset. They didn't in any way distribute the asset. They didn't monetize the asset. They didn't do any sort of activity where you can spread your risk. The majority of MLB owners who bought in in the 90s or 2000s or early 2010s were buying in at levels not seen today, what franchises are worth. And it feels good. You can go to a bank, you can borrow money if you want but the amount of cash available for a lifestyle of private planes and yachts does not come from these teams. So if it doesn't come from their other business that they use for their life, think about what the Wilpons did. The Wilpons were hugely successful real estate magnates, still are, the mets were a losing proposition not an asset value but a losing proposition on an annual basis but they lived well why because they had other businesses that funded their living but they couldn't lose everything with the mets because it wouldn't make sense it would impact their quality of life or impact their ability to do things that they do in their other life that's the same as the lerner family in washington The Lerner family bought the Washington Nationals from Major League Baseball. They spent a fortune at the time, three, four hundred million dollars. The team's worth about two billion, a little under two billion right now. But the Lerner's are one of the richest families because of what they do in real estate. And they got rich because of the positive cash flow and the value of their real estate. If someone comes in and buys the Nationals, and is one of those $20 billion net worth people like a Steve Cohen or like a Jeff Bezos, the nationals will go through a stage where they will have their turn to spend irrationally. We're seeing this with owners who come in and they want to make a splash But splashes in the old days, it was Hideki Arabu or Graham Lloyd for $9 million. Splashes now are $200 million. It's a different world because the baseline numbers have changed so much. But the actions of owners have not. So I would say this to you if you're disappointed that the Red Sox have only signed Justin Turner to a two-year deal, or you're annoyed that the Dodgers brought in J.D. Martinez for $10 million for one year, take a look at the track record of the executives who are doing this, and not having long-term commitments where you end up stuck with a player ends up to be a positive for when your window is open again. And if you want to argue that a team like the Dodgers and Red Sox should never have closed windows, then you're not paying attention. It doesn't matter. The Yankees are the unicorn, and their fan base doesn't even get that. Every team, including the Mets, they will have windows to win and windows not to win. I don't know how many times I have to say this for fans to realize that you cannot force an executive or force an owner to do something through public pressure unless your name is Tom Ricketts. Tom Ricketts bows to public pressure like no one I've ever seen. He of the Edwin Jackson five-year deal in the middle of a Cubs rebuild. For what? Now, you could argue in the National League Central, where you're competing against the Cardinals and the Brewers, hey, the Cubs have a good chance as any this year, don't they? The Brewers are sort of... They've got a great rotation at the top, but they traded away Hater. They faded. Yelich has not been playing well. The Cardinals lost Pujols. <laughs> Who cares? They lost Molina. Guess what? They replaced him. They brought in Contreras. I don't know, Coca. This is maybe this is the management side of me trying to have you explain to me what it is to have a fan's mentality. But I used to be a fan. Before I got into baseball, I was a huge fan of sports. And I was just able to recognize, I'm not smarter than anybody else, but I was able to recognize, wow, it stinks that the, that the Knicks were not good for those number of years. But then all of a sudden, they make a playoff run in 1984, and I feel good. Like, all right, that's that satisfied me. And then stink again, and then make a run with Pat Riley. I'm satisfied. Now they've been bad for 20 years. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, I am. Yes, I am. If you can't be satisfied with the Red Sox winning four titles, the Dodgers winning one title, then what are you doing? What are you in it for? I think you're in it for the chase, not the catch. And owners and presidents and GMs are in it for the catch, not the chase. No matter what Jerry Reinsdorf said about how good it is to finish in second place, owners are in it for the ring the chase of the ring. I spent my whole career chasing the second ring. It's what you do. Do I look back and say my tenure in baseball was not satisfactory? No. I look at all the other people who leave after a full career and they never got the ring. They never had a chance to get the ring. There are executives everywhere who don't have rings. You just don't see them because the ring is what gets you on TV. The ring is what gets you a podcast. It doesn't keep the podcast. It doesn't keep you on TV, but it's a hell of a start. Here's how this ends. This ends with teams taking the field February 15th, February 20th. Everyone talking about who wins and loses the offseason. You're going to see articles like that now. Media is saying winners of the offseason, losers of the offseason. What? Losers are the teams who don't sign the players? Sometimes losers are the teams who do sign the players. That's the whole point. You can't name a winner and a loser until there are wins and losses. But fans want that. They want rankings. Where are we in the top 100? I'm going to do a show at the end of the year. I'm going to rank for you my top movies or my top moments. Totally different than ranking winners and losers of a particular off-season when an off-season doesn't matter at all except to the negative. You're setting yourselves up for disappointment. Oh, man, we're losers. Come on, let's be better. Let's wait when you actually are in a business where you can calculate so easily whether you win or lose. Base your satisfaction on that. On something that is not gray, it's black and white. At the end of 162 games, you either get to keep going or you don't. At the end of the first round, you get to keep going or you don't. It's not a question of, ooh, we just missed. If only the Mets had had better bats, they would have beaten the Padres. But they didn't. When you run a business and you look at the revenue of your business, you are basing it and looking at your revenue against budget. You all do this, don't you? In your household, you do it just running your household, which is a business. You look at your budget, then you look at your actuals at the end of the year, you're like, oh, crikeys. I spent way more than I expected to spend because of these five one-time things that came up. I think we're gonna have to budget for that next year. Let's budget for the yearly funeral that happens that makes us have to take an extra flight than we expected or the extra couple of days that we're not working because we're sick if we're paid hourly. You learn how to budget. You learn how to be responsible because you don't want to get caught, right? You don't want to get stuck at the end of the year, not satisfied. scared that you don't have the safety net. scared that you have no way to pay for losses that you may have incurred. The only difference with owners of major league teams is they've got the means to pay the losses because they know in advance they have to because the losses come every two weeks when you're paying players during the course of a season, You have to have the access to capital. It gets approved by Major League Baseball. Do you know that we send our budget to MLB every year and they have to approve it? Not just the Marlins, every team. And there's a sources and uses of funds. You're going to play your whole year. You're assuming 25,000 people per game. You're assuming an average ticket price of $125. That's damn good. Normally it's 50 or 40. And you've got a payroll of... 210 million dollars. You are going to lose 42 million dollars. It says it right here on your budget. Show me where that is coming from. You're saying you're just going to pay for it out of your checking account. Show me the balance of your checking account. And I want to see every month where that checking account balance is. Because owners used to sneak around totally off the subject, Coca. We owners used to have to uh, secrete away in a separate bank account any money that's deferred and owed to players. So all these deferred contracts, like Bobby Bonilla, where you're paying players until they're 75 years old, you had to actually put that money in a separate account and show baseball that you have the money to pay those deferred players. But baseball would not really enforce that very well, and... Owners were able to just show a snapshot of a bank account on a particular day. So what we used to do and other teams would do is they would transfer money into an account just for a day, take a picture of that day, show baseball, hey, look, we've got the money, no problem. And then the next day, the money is out of the account and it goes to pay back whatever temporary loan or whatever account needed the money or operating account for a different business. But that day, you had the money for the deferral. That's what teams would do. But at the end of the year, just like at the end of your household year, at the end of your business year, you're looking at where you are versus where you thought you would be. And if you're wrong, doesn't that inform your decision about what to do going forward? In sports, you know you're wrong, not necessarily because of the budget of your team and what's actual, But you know whether you're wrong in the evaluation of your team on the field because it doesn't matter if you said, wow, my players are good and look, they had good seasons. Who cares? If your team loses and you don't get to the promised land, you don't get the ring, which is the thing, it's a failure because you're not satisfied and your fan base isn't satisfied. It's a cycle of shit. That's the problem. Satisfaction. All right, Coca. Speaking of satisfaction, play me some music. You know what I want. (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson as we end the year. Thank you so much. We still have shows the rest of this week. And we'll have a show Monday the 26th too. But. In terms of, so you want to talk to Samson, your questions on Twitter at David P. Samson. Yes, we're still on Twitter so far. Questions on Instagram, David P. Samson. Questions on your Apple reviews. Thank you. Some of them we put into a show. Hello, David. Happy Hanukkah. Yes, tonight's night three. A report recently came out that NFL officials informed the owners of their spending $800 million on fired coaches and executives, why would the nfl do that is it to save the owners from themselves thank you so much for that question you get the show so you remember my stories about owners meetings where you sit in a room The second day, the first day are committees. And then you've got the dinner the night before the big meeting where everyone just pretends they like each other. And you eat good food at a restaurant, have some cocktails. And there's a bunch of chatter. And when the meetings are going on in season, you've got owners looking at their phones. Some owners don't even show up because they're pissed at the commissioner about something or another, or they realize it doesn't matter anyway. Then the next day, you've got the big meeting. And in the big meeting, each department of the commissioner's office comes to the front and gives a presentation. Bob Bowman, who started BAM Tech, he started him. He was the first CEO of MLB.com and MLBAM. He, uh, he would go to the front every owner's meeting and give a presentation. And he would go through all the things, the technological advances and all the new back backroom streaming that became a billion dollar business, which would have been a practically a trillion dollar business if MLB had held onto it, doing all the back work for all the streaming networks he'd come up and we'd laugh after because all owners cared about. He'd do a whole presentation and I'd get an elbow and I'd look around at other owners talking to their presidents. So wait, how much money is being distributed to us? <laughs> Not understanding the asset that's being built. Just tell me. Then you bring up the head of properties, the head of revenue, whether it's Tim Brosnan, now it's Noah Garden doing it. Come up there and give a presentation here's what we're doing we negotiated the following and it was amazing we have this national TV deal we had this sponsor coming, in Loan Depot they gave us so much money that we siphoned some off to the Marlins yeah we're looking at you Bruce hell yeah we got you a naming rights deal so we siphoned off some money for them and the owners are like hey that's good um what's the distribution again so every time there'd be a presentation to owners there would be a slide and the last slide would be, here is the budgeted distribution, and here's the actual distribution. And MLB would always budget a smaller number because then they got to say, hey, we're doing our job so great that you thought you were getting $20 million from us, but you're actually getting $25 million. Not realizing they do it on purpose because if they give all the money to the owners in advance, the owners are just going to spend it on shitty players. That's twice. Sorry, Coca. Sorry. They're going to spend it on players, on crappy players, four, six, nine. The extra money would just go right to players. So then you've got the presentation of MLB International. Out comes Paul Archie, who used to do it. Now it's Jim Small. Come out, do a presentation. All of these great things that are going on. We're raising interest in Germany and London. We've got games selling out. The Cubs and Cardinals are going to London. Hip, hip, hooray. And they show a great video of people walking around Big Ben. Look, Big Ben, Parliament. Hey, he's wearing a Yankee jersey. Hey, that's a Cubs jersey. Here's what we're doing. Look at that clinic. We flew in 12 players, and we taught kids how to hit. Hey, what's the distribution? Ah, MLB International will be contributing $4.2 million per team to your kitty. Then out comes the Labor Department. Labor Department goes to the front. Hey, we're not revenue. We, it's like when you get scolded. That's what the Labor Department is, the LRD in baseball. They scold you. They get up there and they give you a slide of all the players that you signed who stink. How much you overpaid them. How the fact that you're all going to be disappointed. None of you are going to be satisfied except one of you at our next owner's meeting. How could you do this? We work so hard to distribute so much money to you and you just flush it down the damn toilet. And the owner says, God, look at how stupid those other owners are. Look at those teams doing stupid things, not us. No, no. Owners are so good at that. By the way, so are presidents and GMs. It's not me, babe. It, remember the Johnny Cash song? It's not me, babe. It's them. It's him. We do that, too, when we're firing managers, when we're firing executives, when we're trading or releasing players. We would say, oh, cost of doing business made a mistake. What's the big deal? The NFL did a presentation to their owners saying, hey guys, do me a favor. You're giving out these crazy contracts to coaches and GMs. Now this happens in a very quiet meeting where it's just owners because some of the owners meetings, you've got the GMs at the meetings. You can't say this when GMs are around, but when it's just owners, you pull them together and say, what the hell are you doing? You're paying Andrew Friedman $10 million a year when the Dodgers signed him to a $10 million a year contract. They got absolutely torched by other owners like they had just signed Deshaun Watson. Like Jimmy Haslam just got screamed at for Deshaun Watson's $230 million. That's what owners said to Mark Walters and, 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 the, uh, and Stan Caston. Why are you doing that? Now we've got to pay our guys more. Well, no, you don't, they said. Our guy's worth it. We've got the money. We want the best. They got a ring. 2020, they got the best. Love you, Andrew, but you know what you did. The next guy who comes, Theo, says, I want 10 million. No, I want 10 million. And then that becomes the minimum. If you want quality GMs, that's what you got to pay. What's the definition of a quality GM? Someone who carries the water for the owner? Someone who's the fall guy for what the owner does? There is no reason in the world to pay executives that type of money. You spread it out around around scouts and development people. You think that GMs who make trades, by the way, you think that they're out there and they're saying, oh, I think we've got to get Jeter Downs. You think Kyan Bloom, when they traded Mookie Betts, said, oh, we're doing this for Jeter Downs, period. He's our guy. You think that he doesn't have baseball people who are paid significant amounts of money who are out there looking at these players? That's not what GMs do. GMs are like administrators. They're looking at their team on the field. They're not out there scouting. They do eyewash trips to look at high draft picks or they're not going to, and they go to their minor league team just because they're celebrities and they want to be seen by the owners of the minor league teams, by the minor league prospects. Hey, look, we're paying attention. GMs count on their cohorts that's why hey he's bringing in his own guys you're damn right he is because those are the guys who got the gm the job in the first place so in the nfl they've got all of these coaches who are supposed to be running player personnel they're supposed to be coaching the games and then all of a sudden their team is bad and so they get fired and the nfl says hey you're wasting 800 million dollars 800 million dollars paying people not to work it's the same as paying players not to play who you've released So here's what happened. And here's why when the NFL does it, no one cares. The reason the NFL does it, which was part of your question, is that they're trying to see if they can change behavior of owners. It's that simple. It's not saving owners from themselves because the way to save an owner from himself is called the salary cap. The way to save an owner from himself is called a cap on off-field salaries as well. That's the only way. Because they make the argument the way you made the argument that the Orlando Magic should hire a free throw shooting coach to help Shaq shoot free throws. Hey, if you're paying a guy 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 million dollars and they don't have a certain skill, why wouldn't you pay someone an extra 70 grand, bring him in and teach that player how to do it? Not understanding that if a player can't shoot free throws, they're not going to all of a sudden learn how because you bring in a coach. Shaq is not going to be an 85 to 95% free throw shooter, just like you don't need a coach to coach Steph Curry to be a 93% free throw shooter. doesn't work that way. They have the skill, they have the ability, they have the mindset. It just all comes together for them in that moment, in that period of time, when they're not injured, when they're performing at a level that you look at in odds. Like artists, actors, of course you go to acting school, but did Dustin Hoffman become Dustin Hoffman because of acting school? No, did he perfect his craft? Did he come up with different, interesting ways of doing things that he could learn from other people? Of course you learn from other people. But in sports, owners never learn from other owners. They never learn from other examples and they never learn from themselves. And the reason they don't is they all say the same thing. It's them, it's not me who's being spoken to. And guess what? If you're at a table and you don't know who the sucker is, it's you. We come back. We're going to review the new Steven Spielberg movie. And we're going to talk about the possibility, the possibility of the Knicks beating the Warriors. Because I'm going to the game. I'm taking my son to the game. We have, I've never taken him to a Knicks game before. So I'm quite excited about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. During the break, I was thinking to myself, it, it must've sounded weird that you say, I've never taken my son to a game. He went to a lot of baseball games. I've never taken him to a Nick game. We've gone to heat games when we were living in Florida together, but never the garden, the world's most famous arena. So I'm awfully excited about that. I finally did it because it's available on streaming. Uh, $20, and you can watch Steven Spielberg's latest movie called The Fablemans. You're going to see it on a lot of top 10 lists during the course of this uh, best, and, best and worst movies of 2022. Talked about that earlier in the show. This is a movie about Steven Spielberg's childhood. It is semi-autobiographical, and the screenplay is written by Steven Spielberg with Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard, who you may know and should know, is one of the great playwrights, one of the great screenwriters of all time and Steven Spielberg does not often write his own stuff. I'm trying to think the last time, Coca. He may have written AI as the last movie he ever wrote, is my guess, but he is uh, obviously one of the great directors of all time. This movie has Seth Rogen, Paul Dano, and Michelle Williams, all of whom could be around come Oscar time. Steven Spielberg is played in different parts by a young boy and then a teenager, and it shows his start in the movies. It showed the family dynamics. It showed what goes on in a broken family. It shows all the different issues that kids have. Steven Spielberg had a childhood that was no different than yours, no different than mine. A childhood that required therapy. So why did I like this movie so much? Because I'm fascinated by greatness. I'm fascinated by the path to greatness. I'm fascinated by people who just have an eye, like artists, like athletes, like business people. How do you have the brain? What brain do you have that allows you to see things in a way that I can't see it? There's certain things that I can see that other people can't see. And it's strange because they'll say to me, how did you know that was gonna happen? And I can't explain it. It's why being a teacher is so damn difficult. It's so hard to explain something that just happens for you. You can sharpen your skills, but these are just God-given skills, for lack of a better concept or thought. Steven Spielberg knew early that he saw things differently. And this movie goes through some of those things. It is an autobiography, but not a crowded one, One of the things that can bother you about movies, and this is not a short movie, but one of the things that can bother you about movies is when they try to pack in sort of everything that would happen and you don't see him marrying Kate Capshaw, right? You don't see him doing Jurassic Park. This is just about his start. And the movie ends as he's just beginning in theory. It leaves a lot to the imagination. I don't want to spoil the last scene, but the last scene of the Fablemans... Steals the show. Absolutely fascinating with a cameo by someone who you will not believe would be doing a cameo for this type of role. And it's like a three-minute scene only that is so full of anxiety and awesomeness. The Fablemans look for some nominations for Steven Spielberg, look for some nominations for some of the acting. Michelle Williams as his mother and her troubl- his troubled mother, phenomenal. I don't know why I didn't call it the Spielbergs. That's sort of weird. I mean, the fable means, you know, that's a Jewish name. The Spielbergs were Jewish. I guess the fablebergs, he could have said. Okay. You know, when are New York Jets fans, are you good? Like, who's your quarterback? Is it Mike White from Florida's university school? Is it Zach Wilson, the number two draft pick? The Jets, who have lost a bunch in a row, where are the receipts, Sally. Salah. Robert Salah was talking Jets quarterbacks again, and I just wanted to mention briefly what's going on, because whenever we get a quote of the year candidate, it makes me happy. And we have a quote of the year candidate, and it goes into the business of sports. There There is a concept in sports. Are you good enough not to play your highest paid player? Are you rich enough not to play your highest paid player? Do Can you subjugate your ego enough not to play your highest paid player? Much easier said than done. And this isn't just a president talking. When you've got an amateur scouting director in baseball and they suggest somebody gets drafted in the second round and that person shows up and doesn't play well in the minor leagues... The scout who scouted the player and told you to draft him says, hey, the development people really screwed this person up. This guy was great, and now he stinks because of development. When somebody becomes good who was supposed to be good, the scout says, hey, I told you he was going to be good. Even we couldn't screw that up. Everybody's pointing fingers. In the Jets organization... They're trying to figure out who to play quarterback. They can't figure it out. Mike White may be hurt, may not be hurt. He needs more scans. Just FYI, major league players, national football league players, any professional athlete, they get scans whenever they want and they get them read whenever they want that minute. We've told you that or nothing personal. Just don't ever forget that. Don't believe a team when they say, oh, we don't have the results back yet. They're lying to you. So we don't know whether or not White can play. We don't know whether or not Wilson's going to play. But then Sal talking to the media said, I got to make a decision soon. We have a short week. We're playing the Jaguars Thursday. But just know that because we committed $35 million in guarantees to him on our team, the best players play. And that will never change. Really? Are you trying to feed us that line of horse hockey? That the GM and the owner do not have a say in who plays and that it's just you, the coach, and that the GM and owner don't play guys who they've signed because they want to make sure that they are not looked at as wasteful or as being wrong or incapable. That will never change the best players play. What do you mean? That's never existed. It's the most expensive players who play. Every once in a while, you suck it up and release Jason Hayward or release high-paid players at the end of their deals, Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols played three extra years for the Angels when he should have been playing. When you are paying players, they get every benefit of the doubt. That was the whole discussion with shortening the MLB amateur draft by making it like 10 rounds instead of 40. That's the whole discussion by contraction of minor league teams, where you only have your top prospects play because of unionizing the minor league players. All the players who were drafted in the 35th to 40th round, they better be good from the beginning, or else they're just going to get thrown away, cast aside. But if you have a high pedigree, you keep getting a chance. Baker Mayfield got a chance with the Rams last night, he got released. Then he got signed, then he played, then he had a miracle win with the Rams last week, and everyone's like, hey, he's back. Well, if you watch the Packers play, you'll know that I was one of them, because Baker Mayfield's not back. But why does he keep getting a chance? Oh, he's got good arm strength. Look at him get that pass right to that guy. What a perfect pass. There is never more confirmation bias than that that exists with highly paid prospects, players, or free agent signings. Anytime they do something good, told you. When they did something bad, oh, we're giving him another chance. I had the Rams plus seven against the Packers. I didn't realize that Aaron Rodgers would all of a sudden be into playing for the Packers again. I thought he was mailing in the rest of the season. Now he gives you a quote when you woke up this morning to this quote. Things are looking up. Aaron, what are you talking about? You just beat the worst reigning Super Bowl champion maybe ever, decimated by injuries. You're still two games under 500. You have to win out the rest of your three games in order to make the playoffs, but things are looking up. We're 149 and 124, and I'm damn annoyed by it. Rams plus seven was a loser. So I told you I was going to the Nick game. How do you feel about getting tickets to the Knicks Warriors and then having Curry get hurt and realize that he's going to be out for two weeks and he's not going to play? Disappointed. Not going to lie to you. I wanted to go see Steph Curry with my son. How do you think it felt in the Lakers-Suns game last night? Suns crushed the Lakers. No Devin Booker, no LeBron James, no AD, no Westbrook. What the hell are we going to the game for? I'm not saying that Curry's out for load management. He's not. He separated his shoulder. We told you that. What I am saying is that it's such a crapshoot that you better do something exciting in the arena to make the tickets worth the price that people pay for the tickets. Oh my God, it's all making sense. That's why there's club areas. That's why there's entertainment areas. That's why there are kids' playroom areas. Anything to take the focus off the fact that the product on the court cannot be controlled or the product on the field cannot be controlled. <laughs> It's so obvious what we do. It's like subtracting you like on an airplane when you're sitting there and like you you didn't get a seat. You're on Southwest, you can't reserve a seat or you had to pay extra money for bags or something. And then they give you, hey, would you like a little bag of peanuts? Oh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we have someone allergic to peanuts. If you don't mind, could you not bring out any snacks that may have peanuts in them? That never happened when I was flying. Now it happens all the time. Has that happened to you? I like that. You distract people. It's like in the law. When you don't have the facts, you argue the law. When you don't have the law, you argue the facts. Coca was remiss when he was flying. He was like, hey, didn't I used to get water? Now you get water. Do not take water on a plane. Side note, Coca, please do not take cups of water that are not bottled on a plane. If I showed you what those water pipes look like, where the water's coming from on a plane, and I told you that they never get cleaned. If you think it's gross when you sit on a plane seat and there's sort of garbage from the previous person or crumbs or other such crap that requires you to use sanitizer, the water is coming out of a like a like a a, a spout in the kitchen of the plane. Do not drink it. I promise you. Coffee's the same, Coca. You're right. I hear you because that comes from the water and the pots never get cleaned. It's so disgusting. But what? Do you, that's the whole point of distraction, isn't it? Hey, don't worry. We're getting you there safely. Don't worry about the fact you're getting salmonella. But don't eat peanuts. Why are airplanes doing that? Fuel cost is up. Profits are down. Stock price is being hurt. We're going to make it up by not giving water to anyone anymore. That'll be a huge savings. Remember, what was the airline, Coca? We're so off the subject. My God, what was the airline that took, maybe it was Delta, they took olives out of their salad in first class, and it was a savings of $2.1 million per year of olives. God, would I like to beat Charles Grodin from Dave doing the budget for these airlines. How about bigger seats? All right, that's it. We're taking the Knicks four and a half over the Warriors. That's our pick of the day. A Steph Curry, no, no, no Steph Curry. Knicks are actually playing well. Can't wait to watch Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle. Hopefully they'll play tonight. Knicks four and a half over the Warriors. Look for me. I'll be the one enjoying every moment I can with my sophomore and college son. Tonight is not just business, it is purely personal.
0: MyPatriotSupply.com